Hey, Internet. It's Dan. Uh, Rob Helton's here with me. This is the Questioning Christianity podcast. Welcome. Rob, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Dan? I'm getting by. And uh, we're glad that uh, you've joined us for another episode. This is a show where we sort of take on some questions of faith. um, And uh, at the end of every episode, we answer the question in its entirety. And you can uh, turn off the podcast and uh, and rest easy in your new knowledge. <laughs> wait, wait, no, 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 that's not quite right. No, that's, no, that's right. that other podcast. That's like the opposite of what we do. No, we uh, just yeah. uh, we try to uh, look at scripture and look at our own personal experience and figure out what we can learn from and how we can wrestle with it. But uh, we do not often land on any sort of answers. So uh, we, we say we're not here to convince or convert anyone, just sort of here to, uh, to question and, and, uh, and go along this path with, uh, with you. So we're glad that you're here. Um, and Rob, I proposed the topic for today's episode, and I sort of regret that I did now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can either take credit or blame, whichever the case may be. I will have to uh, accept both of those, um, uh, whichever is most appropriate. And we'll know better here in about 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's a question that uh, that was on my mind. And it's, you know, can we as people, can we change God's mind? Um, And so I think it's one of those questions that if we get at it a little bit, maybe we'll uh, we'll come at a better understanding of God's nature. But as you and I were talking before we hit the record button, this is one of those topics that if we're not careful, it could like snowball into all kinds of things. And we could be, you know, dissecting Hebrew history and getting into all kinds of minutiae. <laughs> so what, what I want us yeah. to try to do today is just sort of focus on this question and, and hit it at whatever level feels appropriate for us. And then if there are follow-up questions to this topic, please let us know. You can uh, email them to us or contact us on Facebook, and we'll try to address those on, on an upcoming episode. But um, you have a little bit of reservations about this topic, I think. Can people change God's mind? And you were saying something earlier, and I really liked it, about everybody might not be ready for this topic. What did you mean by that? Well, it's just the, the reality that we're all in different places in our spiritual journeys. <sighs> How do I say it? Um, I think that when we look at the Bible, there's a couple different ways that people do that. And, and some people will look at the Bible and, and it's like their security blanket. It, it has to have all the answers. And, there's not all, and, and for them, there's not a lot of room for gray area because that takes away their security. But then some people are more comfortable with the fact that uh, the Bible really doesn't give us all the answers. And there is a lot of what we might call gray area. For instance, the topic we'll talk about tonight is that in some places, the Bible says one thing, and then other places, it seems to say the exact opposite. So to be able to kind of work through that, some people are comfortable doing that. Some people are not. And um, it's not that one, one group is better than another or more mature than another. It's just that we're, we're just in different places. Yeah, I completely agree. So if you find yourself, uh, if this conversation starts to feel frustrating to you, we'll do something that most uh, programs uh, normally do not do. We will suggest that you stop the show (laughs) and uh, and just go do something else. And then uh, check us out uh, next time when uh, Rob 
uh, decides what topic we talk about and it'll be a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe somebody can just send in the question and we'll talk about what, what they want to talk about. Oh yeah. I like that one too. You can do that uh, on our website, questioningchristianitypodcast.com or uh, hit us up on Facebook. All right. So can people change God's mind? A couple of examples in scripture kind of came to my mind. I was trying to think of examples where it seemed to indicate that a person was able to either pray or bargain with God to do something different. And so I thought maybe we could talk about them real quickly and then whatever's sort of on your mind and then uh, sort of see if there's something that we can apply to like our own uh, understanding of God or the way that we pray today. The first one, well, I guess if I'm going in chronological order, the first one is with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Is this a passage that you're familiar with as far as, is there something here we can take away? Like, was Abraham actually able to sort of convince God to, to do something differently? In, in this particular passage, you know, some people will argue it one way and some people will argue it the other. Some people will say, uh, yeah, for sure that um, that God uh, came to Abraham. We've got what we would call uh, maybe a theophany. You know, God takes on human form. God actually comes to Abraham where Abraham lives, and they all sit down and eat a meal together. And somehow in that process, Abraham realizes that he's actually interacting with the divine. And then God decides to reveal to Abraham what he's planning to do to Sodom because it is a place, an evil place, and he's going to destroy it. And then Abraham begins this bargaining with God. He is uh, what my dad used to love to do. God is like the used car salesman, and Abraham is talking him down on his, on, on what he, and so he's, you know, like you said, he goes, if there's, what if there's 50 good people? And then what if there's, you know, 25? And what if there's, I forget the numbers, but I think he gets down to like five. It's so like some a, a say, reverse auctioneer sort of a thing. Exactly. Yeah. And so some would say, well, God intended to do this all along, that this was part of God's plan, that Abraham is not really changing God's mind, that God knew what he was going to do the whole time. But he gives Abraham the opportunity to interact with him in this way. And then others would say, no, uh, this is a, a genuine situation where uh, Abraham interceded, Abraham prayed, as it were, and God altered his plans based on Abraham's prayer. On these situations, it's hard for me to actually pick an either or mm-hmm. on some of these on some of these topics. Uh, I think in this passage, the question we ask is, what's the takeaway? And I think one big takeaway might not be the only one, but one big takeaway, is that what we're learning about God, remember, these these stories are the nation of Israel wrestling with who is this God that we believe in? And they're wrestling with this out loud. You know, they're, they're writing down these stories and they're wrestling with what kind of God it is that they're trying to worship. And they're working this out in narratives, in stories. And so what do we take away from this story about God? Well, a big thing we take away from it is that, uh, lo and behold, the Israelites worship this God who actually wants to interact in relationship with human beings. And I think that's the most phenomenal thing that, mm-hmm. that comes out of this story, that God is not uh, a God who is distanced from humanity, 
but a God who wants to, to live in relationship with his creation. And he'll even, you know, sit down with Abraham and uh, eat a meal and uh, Abraham can talk to him like he's a friend and, and God responds like a friend. And so that I think is, is, is the big takeaway from this. And that's pretty remarkable, especially with this idea of like how, how uh, the Israelites understanding of God, you know, sort of evolves. And, and as you were saying that I was, I was thinking of, you know, you know, some people, maybe it's a, some grandparents or parents or just a, a friend, you know, you, you hear about these couples that have been married for like 60 or 70 years. And you know that like their relationship on like year one was not the same as it was on year 70 or not relationship, but their understanding of one another. Oh yeah. So if they're like sort of journalizing along the way, you would get a clearer, better understanding as you got to know that person. So I, I guess it's, uh, it's sort of similar. This uh, example with uh, Abraham is really early on. Um, yeah. what, what were some of the other examples uh, from scripture that, that come to mind when we think about whether or not we can change God's mind? One of the best known is a passage uh, from the book of Exodus. It's in Exodus chapter 32, where Moses, this person that God has called to be uh, the one to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And so he does that. and, And then they get out in the wilderness. The story goes that while Moses is away, and he's up on the mountain, and, he, and Moses is interacting with God and receiving the law, these people who are very spiritually immature, uh, they get impatient waiting. We don't know what's happened to this guy, Moses. Here we are in the desert, and we don't have a God. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, they, they tell Aaron to make them a God to worship. And so Aaron says, well, give me all your earrings and your, all your gold. And, <laughs> and uh, so Aaron Apparently, Aaron just fashions this uh, calf out of the gold, and and, the, and so they worship that. And while Moses is up on the mountain, God tells Moses, look, this is what's going on down there. You need to get back down there and straighten these people out. And so Moses does, and then God decides, hey, this is just, I'm, this is, you know, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm going to wipe all these people out. And then he tells Moses, I'll make a great nation out of you. I'm just going to wipe them off the face of the earth right now. And so Moses intercedes and let me see if i can i actually got it opened up here in the bible i might can read a, a couple verses here it says um in verse 11 it says moses talked to the lord his god and said lord why does your wrath burn against your people who you brought forth out of the land of egypt with great power and a mighty hand why should the egyptians say with evil intent he brought them forth to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath. And then, and listen to this, and he says, repent of this evil against your people. Now think about it. Moses is telling God to repent of evil. It's pretty audacious. Yeah, he's making and a pretty good case, too. I mean, I know, I know. He's like saying, "Hey, you're you're going to ruin your reputation." Here. He's like Matlock in the courtroom there. I know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess yeah. now, Moses now is- I can only hear Moses talking in a southern accent. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It used to sound a lot um, like Charlton Heston, but now he sounds like Andy. I Gordon, know, so. okay. I know. Yeah, oh, Lord, yeah. So anyway, you get over to verse fourteen, and sure enough, it says, "And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to the people." I mean, it's a really, really cut and dried 
kind of um, scenario where God is intending to do one thing. Moses pleads the case for the people, and God says, you know, Moses, you're right. I'll change my mind, and I'll do something different. It's really hard to argue that this is not exactly what it appears to be, that we can somehow, through the prayers that we offer up to God, alter the course of history in a way and change the direction of the way things are going. And and I would not, as a pastor, I certainly would not be one to say that's not true. Uh, I do believe that our prayers make a difference. Even as I say that, then I have to think about these other passages of Scripture that people point to that are really clear statements mm-hmm. that God does not change his mind. And we can look at a couple of those. Sure. Yeah. Was there uh, a particular one that you wanted to? Uh... Well, there's there's a few. Let me, let, me, let me see if I can look up a couple. There's one in the book of uh, Numbers, uh, still part of this story of the children of Israel. And we get to like Numbers 23. It's this really bizarre kind of story about uh you know, Balaam and his ass. And um, <laughs> I just love to say that. <laughs> but anyway, I won't go through all the gory details of that. But there's this whole story about this prophet Balaam. And, you know, they're trying to get him to uh, call down a curse on the people of God. But it doesn't work. Numbers twenty three nineteen. it says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should repent or some translations that say that he should change his mind. Mm. So that's one passage. Um, let me pull up another one here. Um, this one is First Samuel 15. This is, this is the interact, one of the interactions that Samuel has with Saul. Saul has been rejected by God. Uh, Samuel's the prophet. Saul wants Samuel to sort of plead his case with God and Toward the end of that conversation, Samuel says to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel would not lie or repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Here again, it's some translations translate that word repent, and it literally does mean to change your mind. So mm-hmm. so Saul is saying to Samuel, can you get the Lord to give me a break here and give me another chance? Saul has messed up, done some things he shouldn't do. Samuel says, no, God is not, God's not going to change his mind. He's not a man. He's not a human being. Human beings change their mind, but God doesn't. That's a really clear uh, example of where, at least in Samuel's theology, Samuel's understanding of God God doesn't change his mind. And then let's see one more, and this is way over in the in the New Testament in the book of James. James says, every good endowment and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And then um even uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, in another passage, the, I think it's in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this 
this understanding of God, that God does not change his mind, is called the immutability of God. And this is a theological doctrine that basically says that God never changes, and uh, including God does not change his mind. So in the Bible, we have these two competing understandings of God, these two things that live in tension with one another, which is what I love about the Bible, because the Bible doesn't try to sort of give us this really neat, clear-cut kind of argument or presentation. It, it shows this messy, ongoing theological development of the people who are trying to understand who God is. And I would argue that we sort of fall in that line, and we're still trying to understand who God is. You know, one of the verses that comes to my mind is from Matthew, where Jesus is praying in the garden, and this is just before his arrest and crucifixion. And it sort of feels like that he's embracing both of those ideas in his prayer, the, the, the idea like that you can change God's mind, and then also the, um, the was it immutability? Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, when he says, you know, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, but may your will be done. So he's, he's sort of asking God for, for, you know, a different plan, a change of course here, but ultimately mm-hmm. lands on acknowledging it's God's will, uh, which is more important than his own. So that's sort of how, is that where we land? Like when we pray, we pray with the hope and the, I guess, a recognition that God may intervene but with the understanding that this being, which is far wiser and smarter than, than we are, ultimately uh, his will would or her will would probably be a better solution than the one we're proposing. Yeah, I think so. And, and of course, Jesus himself taught us to pray, mm-hmm. thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, you know, we're encouraged, as the writer of Hebrews says, to approach the throne of grace boldly and make our request known, and then uh, at the same time, we're always submitting ourselves to the will of God, and whether or not we somehow change the direction of things with our prayers, we sort of leave that up to God in a way. I think we pray as if everything depends on that prayer that we're praying, you know, uh, we pray with with the passion and the intensity that this prayer is important. This prayer makes a difference. And then we also at the same time acknowledge that God is sovereign and we ask his will to be done. I find myself sort of fluctuating and maybe that's natural, but sort of going back and forth between those views, you know, and, and I guess it seems like when things are, at their worst, it's easier to sort of genuinely pray with that hope that God may intervene. And then other times I find myself thinking, well, you know, just that last part of the Lord's prayer, your will be done. And what's the point really of me even praying for these other things? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself on that spectrum or moving from kind of from end to end? We especially do that, I think, in when we're in crisis mode. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that we we do that. Uh, what I try to do these days, for the most part, you know, I'm a little older than uh, a lot of a lot of our folks are, 
<laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bumping 60 now. It's hard for me to actually get that out to say that, but, but I am. 60 and, is um, like the new 58 though. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you'd at least back it down to 55, but <laughs> okay. Um, for the most part, I think when we pray, when we pray as followers of Jesus, our prayers are an exercise in spiritual formation. And, and when we pray, whatever it is we pray, we pray with one of our primary objectives to be not so much to get God to do something we feel like he should do as it is availing ourselves to God to be formed spiritually as followers of Jesus Christ. And we do that in prayer. It's kind of like going to the gym and you've got a trainer there and you're saying, okay, I'm going to put myself in your hands and you shape me into the perfect specimen of a, of a man that I should be. Well, when we go to God in prayer, I think that's in, in a way, that's what we're doing. We're going to God and we're saying, okay, here, here I am, Lord. I'm talking to you with, with the ultimate intent of you being able to form me as a follower of Christ. And so I think that is a huge part of prayer. Can I ask a sort of a practical question and then uh, we'll probably wrap it up for today. But, um, and this sort of, I, I may have shared this before, but uh, when I was a young person, uh, my church and and you, your church may do this now, um, we would, would distribute like a, um, a prayer sheet, you know, with a list of names of people. It was mostly people who were sick um, in the yeah. church. And I don't know where I got this idea necessarily, but I had almost an obsessive compulsive um, like obligation to pray over this list um, mm-hmm. daily and name by name. And it was almost eventually it was like maddening, you know, cause the yeah. list never goes away. It only gets bigger as the church yeah. grows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's maybe why I sometimes land on, you know, your will be done. Um, yeah. Is, is there a sort of a practical advice you know, for how can we keep our prayer focused on um, formation, but at the same mm-hmm. time honor those who may be suffering, you know, in, in our church families? Sure. Yeah. The first thing I would say is everybody's different. So you have to find your own way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no right way or wrong way. But um, what works for me, Dan, is um, I have a liturgy of prayer. I've sat down and I've put together these these prayers, a lot of them come from the, the uh, Book of Common Prayer, but it's a, it's a liturgy of prayer that I work through every morning. It takes, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes or so. It's a combination of, of rote prayers and scriptures. I read those out loud. I think of that as the, an exercise that actually kind of prepares me, shapes me, forms me spiritually. That's a big part of my prayer life. And then when I'm done with that liturgy, when I've, when I've worked my way all the way through that liturgy in the morning, then I, I stop that and I set it aside. And then I feel like I'm prepared then to sit in silence and listen. And I sit, 
I invite Jesus to speak to me, and I spend a little bit of time in meditation. Now, that's that's my prayer practice. Like I said, I, that won't work for everyone, and everybody has to find their own way. When I do that, I'm not. I don't try to pray for like a for a, a prayer list. I don't try to pray for my church members. I'm just doing that. What I do about praying for people, I understand exactly what you're talking about because I used to try to keep this detailed prayer list, had it in my Bible, or I would carry it with me wherever I went, and I would try to pray through this long list. And I would feel guilty because I would find myself just sort of rattling it off and, and not being sincere about it. Um, and it was just, like I said, it was maddening. And so what I do is when someone asks me to pray for someone, depending on the situation, I'll either say, absolutely, let you and I pause right now and pray for this person. I'll either do that or if the situation doesn't lend itself to that, I'll say, I will definitely do that. And as soon as uh, I hang up the phone with this person or as soon as I have the, the, the opportunity, I will just, I'll try to be as good as my word and I will pray for that person. I will, I'll lift that person up in prayer, however, you know, just whisper a prayer for that person. But I don't typically come back to that day after day. Mm-hmm. Unless the Lord, like you know, puts that on my heart. If I, if that, if the Lord brings that person to my mind, sometime during the day, I might, I may say, "Oh yeah, Lord, thank you for that reminder. Um, please intervene in this person's life or whatever." But um, I, I just don't do the prayer list thing anymore. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and um, and sharing what works well for you. The last question I thought of, and I don't know if this might be sort of a dangerous question, but do you feel like that you have ever changed God's mind? Mm, wow. <laughs> that is a good question. And I, is there I any I, way to know if one it, has? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking when, okay. uh, when you asked me the question, I I'll put it this way. I sure have tried a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, that used to be pretty much the central part of my prayer life was trying to change God's mind to try, trying to get God to do something that I wanted God to do. And like I said, I'm just, that's just not really where I am at, at, at this stage in my life. It doesn't mean that I don't ask God for things. I'm asking God for things constantly you know, there's a story about the Apostle Paul who has this, he calls it a thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what it is, but it's some problem that he has. And um, and he prays to God about it three different times. He brings it to God three different times, asking God to remove this thorn in his flesh. And like I said, we don't know if it's a physical problem, if he's struggling with some sin that he can't seem to gain victory over or what it is. But anyway, he he brings it to God three times and God says, no, I'm not going to take it away. You're going to keep it and that's going to help you be humble. And so Paul gets his answer. God says no, (laughs) you know. So I've never had a definitive answer like that from God one way or the other. I've sort of come to peace about some things, but uh, yeah, I guess I, I can't give you a time when I've prayed something and I feel like that I've, you know, somehow changed God's mind through my prayers. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. No, I can't think of uh, an example like that yeah. either, but I was just curious. Yeah. Maybe someday when I'm talking with 
the Lord, he'll say, oh, yeah, you know, that time you prayed about this thing or that thing, uh, I was going to go in a totally different direction. And, you know, you <laughs> that would be my- cool. Yeah. <laughs> Can I throw one more thing out there? Yeah, man, sure, sure. Kind of wrap up? This whole conversation, conversations like this is a little bit are, uh, challenging for me because here's the danger of the practice or sort of the science of theology is that sometimes when we try to somehow wrap our minds around these things and we try to systematize God, it's, there is a whole discipline within theology. It's called systematic theology, where basically we're trying to explain God. And all honestly, that discipline becomes less and less interesting for me the older I get. Mm-hmm. Because I'm learning more and more to appreciate the mystery of God and um, the mystical nature of spirituality. And to me, that's much more interesting and much more inspiring. Uh, So I'm not saying that we can't have these conversations, and I think they are good, and, and hopefully they're helpful to some people. But what I would encourage you to do is not to miss out on the joy and the beauty and the mystery of God by trying to pin God down or or put God in a box so that you can understand God and explain God. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. He's not the sort of God that fits well into a box. Sure. Yeah. There's an illustration that I read in a uh, from a book that Rob Bell wrote and um, some of our listeners may know that name, but um, uses the illustration of um, what, what is the the scientific name for somebody who studies like insects and anyway, I have no uh, idea. It's not, it's not botanist, but anyway, so somebody who, who, who studies insects and he, he says, if you take a butterfly, for example, and uh, you, you're watching this butterfly fly around, you really can't study the butterfly too closely. But then if you catch it in a net and you pin it down on a, on a little styrofoam board and you pin its wings down, then you can really dissect that butterfly. You can put it under a microscope. You can learn all kinds of stuff about that butterfly. But it, in the process, you've also lost the beauty of the butterfly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the beauty of the butterfly was when you were watching it flutter around and fly. I think systematic theology is like that. I mean, it's not a bad discipline, but I would encourage us not so much just to keep, just to keep trying to put God under the microscope, but let God thrill us and amaze us and overwhelm us with his beauty uh, and and his mystery. So I guess that's my little uh, preachery invitation for the end of the sermon. (laughs) <laughs> I like it. And I think it's entomologist. Oh yeah. There you go. There you go. You got it. You got it. I, I used, uh, I used Google. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, if you have questions, if you have uh, comments or something you'd like to follow up with us about this topic or anything else, we hope that you will reach out to us. You can go to our website, which is questioning Christianity You can click the email us uh, button and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you and uh, talk about whatever it is that you'd like uh, to uh, to talk about uh, on our next show. 
Uh, Rob, I appreciate your time and for sharing the personal stories and, and um, for sort of humoring me on this, uh, uh-huh. on this topic. And I think we'll wrap it up right there. Oh, last thing. If you did find this uh, episode helpful, share it with at least one friend this week. And if you, um, you know, if, if this wasn't very helpful, then, uh, you know, just, just hold off on the sharing part until, uh, <laughs> <laughs> until we do better. So for Rob Helton, I'm Dan McClellan. We'll see you next time on the Questioning Christianity Podcast.